looking forward to that part. We've got a special treat coming up here at the end. Uh, and if you don't already have a copy of the prayer pamphlet or the, the same thing as in English right here, you can have a copy there. Um, there's also, if you wanted a copy of a handout of what I'm doing, what I'm talking about this morning, and you might want a copy of that. It's a little study sheet. might be helpful to you if you want it. So, anyway, I'd like to talk this morning uh, about, well, maybe let's first of all just ask, about, what, what is your, what is your, what would you say would be the source of your favorite love story? As you think about that, I should be asking that of, of, of Juan and Jessica right now. <laughs> what was that you said, Kathy? Ruth and Boaz from the Bible. Very good. I was gonna. I was wondering if anybody was gonna suggest country music like Taylor Swift or something unspiritual like that. Maybe uh, Jane Austen or uh, Alan Tipper Gore. <laughs> they were the. Remember, <laughs> you get that one right. <laughs> the source of inspiration supposedly for Eric Siegel <laughs> and the movie Love Story. Um, Maybe Michael and Doug, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and Romancing the Stone. Anybody see that movie? Yeah. Okay. But Ruth and Boaz is much better, Kathy. I would agree. Um, I would submit that there is no greater love story than God the Father choosing and preparing a bride for God the Son. Think about it a moment. A good love story contains what does it contain? Well, it contains romance, right? And we have, with, for romance, you've got wooing words. You have creativity, expression through music or poetry or, or prose, it could be. Um, I was never so creative as when I was wooing Sue. And I've got to confess, I've got to go back and revisit that, I think. Um, when I, at my wedding challenge, uh, Jim Congdon, who some of you know, uh, spoke from Psalm 45. And he said, Larry, I... I I've got a hard thing to say here from Psalm 45. You are supposed to be romantic. And I know as a former navigator, that's going to be a very difficult thing for you. And he's right. Uh, and, and I do definitely need to work at that. A love story also involves uh, self-control and self-denial. It wouldn't work very well for a love story if, if the man or the woman, the guy or the gal, had a, a wandering eye, would it? If they were not being faithful to their, to their beloved. It also involves a defense of the beloved, especially you get into the chivalric uh, romance stories. Think of like the knights or, the, the, um, um, or the, maybe the westerns, uh, cowboy stories. Um, Todd just finished reading The Scottish Cheats here recently. Uh, I know those of you at Care Parable have read that at some point. Uh, have you read it already, Samuel? You've read it, okay. Good story. Jen, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I was not looking forward to doing Chinese. <laughs> um, so, welcome. <laughs> a love story. So, uh, it, it, a love story oftentimes involves also jealousy, righteous jealousy. A jealousy that seeks to protect that relationship, that love, that special relationship that people have. 
And it's one of the reasons why God is named Elkanah, the jealous one. He is jealous for his people. He wants their affection and their love. He's faithful to us. He wants us to be faithful to him. God's love story has it all. By the way, men, uh, the Bible does tell us to love our wives. I, I've always been interested and wonder why it doesn't tell the Bible, why the Bible doesn't tell women to love their husbands. I, I've never seen that any place. Maybe I'm missing it, but uh, I don't think it's there. Maybe it's because it's more natural for women. I don't know. But, but we men, we do need to work at loving our wives. If you want to be like God, you need to be a lover. You need to be romantic. And I'll have to develop this theme more someday when I've, when I've got more time and when I'm doing a better job of application myself. For now, take the Bible's word that God loves Jerusalem and Israel and by extension, he loves the church as well. Through them, he calls the whole world to himself. I've been going through First Peter recently and in First Peter, uh, there are four things that I've seen that where Peter seems to identify the church with Israel. And it seems like it's a very deliberate thing that he's doing in his letter to the, to the Christians. Um, the first thing that he brings out in 1 Peter is that, is that the church is dispersed. He calls them the, the, the church and the dispersion. And it was no, there's no question, no doubt about Israel being dispersed in, in the first century. Uh, they'd been conquered. The ten tribes of the north had been conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C. and then Babylon had come in and conquered the two tribes of, of the south, Judah and Benjamin, in 586 B.C. and shipped them off into exile. Um, a remnant was able to return from, from, um, with the authorization of Persia uh, after 70 years, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah. But they were still under the thumb of Persia and then Greece and then Rome finally ending up with a major dispersion, as we were talking about in Sunday school today, in 70 AD when Rome finally, got, finally came in and, and killed thousands of, of the Jews that were there and destroyed the temple. And they fled to Jordan and to far-flung places like back to Persia and to Ethiopia and to Spain and to Morocco where I spent some years. There, were, there was a very large Jewish community in Morocco at one time. Now, today's, uh, the largest Jewish community is, no surprise, that's uh, Israel. Some, uh, about a little over five and a half million Jews there in Israel today. Um, the second largest population at about five and a quarter million Jews is in New York. And then there's Others spread all over. There is the dispersion still today. In Ezekiel 22, 15, uh, and many places in the Old Testament, if you have your study sheet, I've got listed a couple of them there. Um, it, God had promised that he was going to dis, disperse the people of Israel as a, um, as a way of refining them. And in fact, that's the whole book of Habakkuk is a concern. It's Habakkuk's complaint that why are you using a, yeah, we're unrighteous, God. We, we have sinned. We've blown it big time. But why are you using a country that is even less righteous than us to judge us? And that is what God does. He, um, in Ezekiel twenty-two fifteen, 15, uh, uh, God 
said, I will, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries, and I will consume your uncleanness out of you. In 1 Peter, Peter says, uh, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are of the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And to bring the point home again, in verse 17 of the same chapter, he says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Talking to the Christians. And in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. We are to identify with Israel in their dispersion. We are exiles in this world. To be an exile, to be a foreigner in a foreign land, it means that you walk around with your speech seasoned as salt. You don't know what you might say that might not necessarily get you into trouble. You don't know if the system is going to work on your behalf and help you. I know in Morocco I was concerned, I'm always concerned, here in the United States I'd, I'd feel terrible if I hit somebody, but I'd trust to the courts to judge me if I did hit somebody with my car. Um, in Morocco, I knew if I hit somebody, I would have the book thrown at me. It would be horrible. Um, when you're a foreigner, you do have to, you walk around a little bit more carefully, and you're aware that you're representing another people, another country. That is what God wants us to do. We're to identify. We are like Israel. We have been dispersed. We are in exile. Our home is not the United States. Our home is not this world. Second point, uh, Peter identifies the church with Israel in that Israel was holy and set apart for God through sacrifice. Sounds like us as well, doesn't it? A very key verse, Exodus 24, verses 6 through 8, I have listed there. And this is written about the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments. And we have Moses, and you have the people of Israel. And it talks about Moses sending out the young men to sacrifice lots of oxen, and they bring back the blood. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then the half that he had in the basins he kept. And, and then he took the Book of the Covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And Moses took the blood that was in the basins and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So you have an identification with the covenant. And basically the people of Israel were saying, May it be done to us as it was done to these oxen. May we be killed. May our blood be spilt if we do not keep our end of this covenant. And in our effect, we have been sprinkled with blood as well. According to Peter, in chapter 1, verse 2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In chapter 2, verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. To become the special people of God, 
you have to, we have to be sprinkled with his blood. We have to accept that sacrifice. We have to be identified with him. Okay. Third of all, there's a promise of an inheritance. For Israel, of course, several verses there again from the Old Testament could be chosen. I just listed a couple. In Deuteronomy 26, 1 and 2, it says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession and live in it, you shall take some of the first of the fruit of the ground which you, have, which you harvest and from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. That ended up being Jerusalem. And the, the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Their inheritance was a land. It was a city. It was a place where God would dwell. For us, First Peter, Peter identifies us with, with Israel in chapter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Again, our country is in heaven. Our city is in heaven. When it goes through the chapter of the Hall of Fame of Faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's talking about the people that looked for something better, a city that did not exist. That's what we're waiting for and looking for as well. And then finally, there is a, the proof of Israel through the fire of trials. And that comes to us as well as the church. Again, many verses in the Old Testament that could be chosen, but Zechariah 13.9 is one that I've selected. Zechariah 13.9, and I will put this third, in other words, the remnant, into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. We also, in, according to Peter, in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, he talks about the fiery trial that is coming in on the, uh, on the, on the church. He says, in this rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The church is not Israel's replacement, however. We are identified with Israel. But we're not, replaced. we're not replacing them. We're joining into them. God has grafted us in. In Romans 11, the whole chapter is all about this. Um, we were talking at Sunday school about something called the preterist view today. I'd really be interested in seeing what those who have that view would say about chapter 11 of Romans and how that would fit. And I think we're coming into a time in our country's history where... Um, the, if, if the United States has been a support behind Israel in the past, I'm wondering if that will continue. But in Romans 11, it does say, and not to say that Israel is, is by any means the righteous nation that God wants them to be yet, or that he will work in them yet. But in Romans 11, verses 25 and 27, I might just read, Lest you be wise in your own sight, speaking to us as Christians, the church, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. 
And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Well, we come now to the beginnings of the church, Pentecost, which we're celebrating today, actually, 50 days after the Passover. It's actually following the conclusion of the seven weeks of harvest. Pentecost was when Peter preached his great sermon, just 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, and 3,000 believed in Christ. When God poured out his love on his people, his gathering, his church. The reason God did this was to empower them for witness, but also to begin the fulfillment of the prophecy that occurs many places in the Old Testament about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 12.10, for example, Isaiah 44.3, Ezekiel 39, verse 29, Joel 2.28. God promised that he would, in the future, pour out his Spirit to draw a people to himself that he could love and that would love him. When he did that on Pentecost, 50 days, that's what Pentecost means, 50 days after, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God began his pushback against Satan and the worldly system that Satan controls. The tide was turned and victory was assured when Christ died and rose from the dead. In the words of C.S. Lewis, it was revealed that a deeper magic existed than that which had been previously known. Fifty days later, on the Jewish festival, or the, the festival of weeks, concluding the seven weeks of the grain harvest after Passover, and commemorating the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, which take place 50 days after the first Passover. It's interesting to think of Moses throwing the blood on the people as they received the covenant and the, the, uh, the law, the, 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 the Torah that God had given them, that that happened 50 days after the first Passover, 50 days after the Passover lamb was slain and they had been able to leave Egypt. The Holy Spirit was poured out on a group of praying followers of Jesus that included the apostles and other disciples, including Jesus' mother and several women disciples who had cared for Jesus' group and Jesus' brothers. And God gave signs of this empowerment that were objective and supernatural. Have you ever thought of the gift of tongues? I've known a lot of missionaries who wish that they could be spared the work of learning another language. But then you'd also have to pray for the gift of interpretation so you know what you were, you were saying as well. But that was an objective sign that occurred right there at Pentecost. And it also occurred many times after. I've thought times, at times after that... Uh, just how amazing that would have been and service after service as, as somebody who didn't know a language would get up and speak in that language. I mean, it would be a big thing to see somebody healed, but you have to wait for somebody to be sick or ill or injured to need to be healed and to have somebody just suddenly start speaking in a language that they didn't know at all. That, what an amazing sign. Have, today the church is scattered to the far corners of the globe and over the globe... Christians are gathering today to remember the outpouring of the Spirit and this first harvest feast, the beginnings of the new covenant. I'd like to ask at this time those who are helping with the responsive reading prayers, if you could please come forward.
And the rest of you, if you have your prayer sheets, you might want to get them out. Why don't we do it here? Okay. Jen? Global day of pr- the Global Day of Prayer, by the way, was uh, it's come out of South Africa. We've had the National Day of Prayer for years here in the United States. It's a long history, and um, actually, we've had a several. We've had a, a couple of months of celebration here, of starting with the National Day of Prayer and now ending up here with the Global Day of Prayer. Um, it started with meetings in South Africa, prayer meetings that grew and grew and grew and then started spreading to other parts of the globe to the point now that there are Christians all over the world today that are praying these prayers that we'll be doing responsibly and joining together on this. It's a um, very much a spontaneous uh, growth of prayer and um, we uh, there are other meetings and things going on. I understand there are a couple of meetings going on in Kansas City tonight uh, they're hoping in the future to have a meeting in Topeka for people to, to join together in if this continues to grow. But for today, I understand at least that there is no meeting in Topeka. We have a prayer for the world, if you would refer to that then. We'll be doing readings in English, Arabic, Chinese, German, French, Spanish, and then we'll end up in English. So starting with this first section, and you'll notice that uh, there's some bold print. There's sort of a title that the reader will read. And then at the end of the section, there's another bold print section. I guess I'll have to speak close to the mic here. Um, There's another uh, bold text section that we will read together responsively in English. So let's pray together responsively. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together with believers all over the world, we gather today to glorify your name. You are the creator of heaven and earth. There is no one like you, holy and righteous in all your ways. We submit to your authority as the king of the universe. We pray with one voice to enthrone you in our hearts and to honor you before the world together in English. Lord God, you alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. Our Father in heaven, in Arabic. Shukran <laughs> 
Yeshua le Messiah. Bashimut ala Saleb min ajal khatayitna. Bash intasallah nak. In shukrakutliyana in kinna in imkulik ya abana wahin walena waladik. La she kudurri farakna min mahabatik. And together in English. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord Jesus Christ in Chinese. Zhu Yeshu Jidu. We 公义治国，愿从日出之地到日落之地，你的名被尊为重。Der Barmherzigkeit und Gnade. Wir beckenen, dass wir gesund haben und dass unsere Welt in der Fangen der Sünde ist. Unsere Herzen sind traurig über die Ungerechtigkeit, den Ass und die Gewalt. Wir schämen uns für unterdrücken Rassismus und Blutwerdigen in unserem Land. Wir trauen um all, die ihr Leben durch Morg, Krieg und Terrorismus verfahren haben. Unsere Familien sind zerbrochen und unsere Gemeinden sind gespalten durch Rebellion und Stolz. Unser Leben ist verschmuckt durch Egoismus, Neid, Gottesdienst und Sexualsünden. Wir haben dein Erz betrübt und schand über deinen Namen gebracht. Aber bamen mit uns, wenn wir von ganzen Erzen beruhen. Say with me together in English. God of mercy, forgive our sins. Spirit of the Living God in French. Nous reconnaissons que nous ne pouvons rien faire loin de toi. Transforme l'Église à l'image de Jésus-Christ. Répand ta puissance pour apporter la guérison aux malades, la liberté aux oppressés, le réconfort à ceux qui pleurent. Verse ton amour dans nos cœurs et remplis-nous de compassion pour répondre à l'appel des sans-abri, des affamés et placer les orphelins les veuves et les personnes âgées sous tes soins. 
donne-nous la sagesse et apporte-nous la connaissance qui nous permettront de résoudre les problèmes difficiles que nous rencontrons aujourd'hui. Aide-nous à utiliser les ressources de la terre pour le bien-être de tous. Together in English. Holy Spirit, we need your comfort and guidance. Transform our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ in Spanish. Señor Jesucristo, porque estabas muerto más ahora vives y porque el Padre te ha dado un nombre sobre todo nombre, triunfarás sobre todos los poderes del mal. Derriba las fortalezas e ideologías que entorpecen el conocimiento de Dios. Nos resistimos ante el plan del enemigo de mantener a las naciones en las tinieblas. Quita el velo de oscuridad que cubre los ojos de los pueblos. Subyuga el mal que promueve la violencia y la muerte. Trae libertad de la opresión demoníaca. Rompe el dominio de la esclavitud, la tiranía y la enfermedad. Llénanos de valor para predicar tu palabra sin temor e interceder fielmente por los perdidos. Together in English. King of glory, come and finish your work in our cities, our peoples, and our nations. We lift our voices in unison with believers from Africa and Asia, from Middle East and Europe, from North and South America, and from Australia and the Pacific Islands. Together we cry, lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, so that the King of glory may come in. As your deeds increase throughout the earth, and as your blessings abound to all the nations, they will seek you, asking, Who is this King of glory? Together we will answer, He is the Lord Almighty. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Come fill the earth with your glory, as the waters cover the sea. The Spirit and the Bride say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus. 